Thank you for being here tonight. Summer's upon us. If you're traveling this summer on vacation or during the rest of this year, please let us know when you're going to be gone so we can pray for you. And also, if you need uh, some direction as far as finding a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church to go to while you're on vacation, certainly want to be of help to you there. And if we can put a phone call in or a message to maybe a pastor, we know that you'll, we're in an area that we're, we know of in that area. We'd like to be able to get you acquainted with them and be a blessing to you, if you would, please. Second Samuel 13, if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, would you share your Bible with them and help them find their place tonight? Very vital, important message. And I'm hoping then the next several weeks we'll try to finish up Second Samuel. And we've kind of been off that for several couple months here, and I want to get back into it just to kind of finish up some things that are really helpful to us. Second Samuel 13, we're only going to read verses 1 to 4, but a very important topic. Follow me, if you would, as we read, please. And it came to pass after this, that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister, whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he, that is Jonadab, said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed. And make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it and eat it at her hand. I call your attention to verse 3 tonight. doesn't matter how old we are. It really doesn't matter where we're at in life. We have a day and time when we, social media, people like to take track as to who's following me. Can I friend or unfriend you? This evening, the Bible talks about a son of David, a son by the name of Amnon. The Bible says, but Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. I want to preach you a message tonight entitled, Can We Be Friends? The story is told of a lady who just celebrated her her birthday and she turned 102 years of age. I'll be honest with you, you get past 70, according to the Bible, the Bible promises 70, 70 years, and anything over that really is bonus. And she turned 102, and they had a big celebration for her at the retirement home she was at, and someone asked her, what, are, what do you think are the key benefits? What's the number one benefit of living past 100 years of age? And she smiled and said, no peer pressure. <laughs> and tonight, we're looking at the subject of peer pressure. Who influences you? Who influences you? Who's messing with your head? Or who's motivating you to go on for God? We all need this tonight. I've struggled over this passage, struggled, but I've prayed over this passage probably for six months. That's why I got off of Second Samuel, because I wanted to be sensitive to the Lord's leading. And I think it's just, I had to find God's leading, and just this past week, God just gave me just the green light, says, I want you to preach this. I want to be helped to you tonight. I want to be helped to myself. Because even pastors have to be careful of who their friends are. Pastors do. I've watched men choose the wrong set of men and it affected their spirit badly. But I've watched men choose the right friends and it helped their spirit greatly. And we need to know that tonight. And by the way, let me say this tonight. We're in a great church. There's some good friendships in this church. And there's some good friendships you need to have. Pastor Gene and I are great friends. We had a little 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 uh, issue yesterday, right, in the car. And he said, Pastor, i got to talk to you. And we, we just, and you know, his time zone is different from ours. And we have a mutual friend who's got some issues going on. And we're just, all day yesterday, we're working on this situation. I had a pastor friend that was under attack, bad attack. And this one we're talking about was under attack, but it was under bad attack. Called me up late at night when I said, Pat, Brother Fawn, I need to talk to you. And I said, sure. And I'll tell you tonight, it's important you have good friends. It's really important to have good friends in the church. You, build, you know, it's just like, it's like retirement. You know, you're sending ahead for the future. 
And everything you do with your friendships now is getting you ready for the future. And so tonight, just follow me this evening. Let the Lord speak to our hearts. And uh, may the word of His grace build us up tonight, that we'd be strengthened in this area about this subject matter about friendships. Now, Father, tonight, thank you already for the songs we sung about Jesus. My Jesus, I love Thee. I'd rather have Jesus. I really pray that's our prayer. I pray that we're just not singing, but we really mean that tonight. Lord, we've had a great weekend already. We've had some full days of just the Word of God and encouragement, and we need help tonight. As we close off the Lord's Day for just a few moments, Lord, we just pray that you speak to our hearts and touch our souls and work in our lives. Holy Spirit, you are our teacher. And I claim 1 John 2.27 tonight, but the anointing that you've received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but this the same anointing is truth and is no lie. Even as has taught you, so shall you abide in him. And Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher to give us great enlightenment. Open thou my eyes. Open thou our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I pray tonight that you'd help us. Perhaps we need to change some friendships. And perhaps tonight we need to make some new friendships. And whatever it may be tonight, Lord, you're going to speak to us. And you'll show us as a loving Heavenly Father. And we'll thank you for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I hope you've been helped through the series we're doing on the family. Uh, Brother Vaughn asked me a really great question this morning. He said, how long is the series going? And I, <laughs> and I said, well, actually, uh, today was the last, probably this morning was the last message I'm going to bring on that for a little bit. I think I need to let the marriage aspect kind of sit down here for a minute, and we'll get into about teenagers and kids for a little bit there. But I've just enjoyed being on, the, on this series here because it's helped me a lot, and I pray it's helped you. And we've looked at some vital, vital topics there. But tonight, we're, about, we're, we're looking at a family topic. But we're really looking at a principle for Christian living. In fact, tonight, the family we're looking at is a royal family. We're looking at the family of David. We're looking at the family. It surrounds, uh, this, this story surrounds two of his sons and one of his daughters. We see Absalom and Abnon and Tamar. It centers itself on the fact that families have challenges. And don't raise your hand, but how many families feel like you've got challenges right now? Amen. Every family's got challenges. And uh, we've got difficulties. And we have, we hit some, we hit some bumps in the road along the way. And, and, uh, it's a reminder to us tonight that families can also have tragedies that can affect them. And they can be very hurtful tragedies. It's a reminder tonight that even where there's strong parental influence, that we can still have challenges in raising our children for the Lord. And so we're looking at a passage of Scripture that teaches about influences on a family. We're looking at the subject of friendship and how friendships can help us, how friendships can hurt us. Tonight we're looking at a thought, can we be friends? Notice number one, the common definition. What do we mean by friends? What exactly do you mean by friend? I mean, have you ever struck a conversation with somebody on a plane and, or, a, or sitting on public transportation and you found some commonality and you just thought, well, I guess you're my friend. I mean, what do you mean by a friend? How do you, how do you have developed friendships so soon? How, how do you get a friend? What is a friend? The Bible says in verse 3, Amnon had a friend. What was his friend? How did this man Jonadab become his friend? I wrote down in my notes tonight for you, a friend is someone we have a commonality with. We have shared interests. We have similar beliefs, we have shared beliefs and common interests, and we have shared involvements, and we maybe participate in a cause that is very meaningful to us. A friend is someone we enjoy spending time with. By the way, every married person here tonight, uh, your, your spouse, I pray, is your best friend. The Bible tells us something about that. If you say, well, where in the Bible does it say uh, that your spouse should be your best friend? Malachi 2.14. Malachi 2.14 says, Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord has been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. And listen to this. Yet is she thy companion. God was telling Malachi to tell the, 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 the children of Israel, tell the, the people of Judah and Jerusalem, You know, your, your wife, your spouse is your companion. She's your best friend. He's your best friend. And she's the wife of thy covenant. A British publication once offered a prize for the, def- the best definition that their citizens could submit about the definition of friendship. And here are some of the wordings and definitions that came in. One person wrote in, One who multiplies joys, divides griefs, and whose honesty is inviolable. Someone else wrote and sent this in, One who understands our silence. Another one wrote this, a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. 
Someone else wrote this down. A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. I thought that's a great one. But the winning, the winning submission, the winning definition said this. A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. The common definition. Notice Proverbs 17, 17 tonight. First of all, we see the companionship that's found in a friendship. Hey, listen, a friend is someone you enjoy being with. Amen? I mean, they're not your friend if you don't enjoy being with them. Amen? I mean, it's someone you enjoy being with. Someone that makes you better. Someone that, someone that is encouraged by you. Someone that you, you highly respect and they highly respect you. Listen to Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times. You know, that, that's very meaningful because, you know, your friends are going to fail sometimes. As a friend, you're going to fail. And as a friend to someone else, they're going to fail you. But the Bible says, a friend loveth at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Are you there when someone's hurting? Do you love them even when they mess up? Are you going to help them out? You're going to call them up. We have a lot of folks out on vacation, traveling on business this this weekend, and it's a little little sparser tonight. But do you recognize? Do you have a friend that's not here tonight that is meaningful enough to you to call them and say, "Hey, I missed you at church." A friend love it at all times. Listen, good friendships are relationship driven. We live in a day and time things are not relationship driven. Everything's social media driven. You're my friend if I see, if I like what I see this posted. Hey, you know what? It's not about how you impress people, what you look like. It's all about relationship. It's relationship driven. They're about what they can give to a friendship, not what they can get out of it. And we need to get out of this mindset where we've been at for the last 70 to 80 years where friendships are about what they can give to me. It's not what they can give to you. It's what you can give to them. Good friendships are people enjoy, you enjoy being with and seldom tire of being with that other person. Uh, good friendships seek to be proactive and not reactive. Hey, good friendships always follow the rule of 1 Corinthians 13. When I got saved, I got a little chick track. Remember those chick tracks? I think they still make those, don't they? Somebody gave me a little chick track and, and it told me, it said to me, read this, Brother Fong. They said, if you read this, it'll help you. And the chick track I gave, gave me two admonishments. It says, there's two chapters of the Bible you should read every day if you want to be a strong Christian. One of them was Hebrews 11. One of them is 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to some things that it tells about the companionship and friendship. It reminds us that in good friendships, they think no evil. In good friendships, they bear all things. In good friendships, they seek not their own. They are two souls that are knit together. There's a companionship in friendship. But notice something else. Would you notice the comparison in friendship? In Proverbs 27, 9, what a great analogy Solomon uses. He says, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. And you have to stop there and think in the context of that time. They lived in a hot and humid time. They didn't have fans. I'm thankful here at the platform. Brother, Brother Vaughn just put some fans up here and we established a platform to keep it cool up here because it gets warm as you start preaching. Amen. You know, it gets warm. And I, and I like to have in the breeze on here. If it was the rest of you, you'd feel very, very cold. But I enjoy having the air. But at that, but in those days, they didn't have fans. They didn't have AC. And they came out, they came out of the hot, humid weather. And, uh, you know, what, a lot of times what they did is they put ointment on each other or on, on themselves to relieve themselves. Notice what he says here. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So does the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. What a great analogy. Ointment has the idea of refreshment as you enter to someone's home after a long journey. They offer you the ointment to put on your head so the oil kind of uh, keeps the humidity and the heat kind of sedated there on, on you. Uh, ointment has the idea of, of being refreshed from the heat and humility. Perfume, on the other hand, brings to mind the wonderful fragrance and the sweet scent that is pleasant to the senses. We read about perfumes in the Bible. I, I think about Mary at Bethany, who, who poured the ointment on Jesus' head, remember that? And the Bible says the fragrance filled the room. And there's something about uh, someone who's got a strong amount of perfume. They just kind of, they capture your attention, not because of them, but because of the, the fragrance that's there. And he uses this analogy. He says, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. That's what a good friendship is. It's a comparison in that context. But notice the completion in friendship. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, 
iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, good friendship always seeks to find ways to sharpen the other person. Those of you who are, who are very involved in your kitchen and you like to have a lot of meat and protein, you know the importance of sharpening your knife every now and then. And you realize that's important to cutting through things. And we do the same thing with friendship. Good friendships sharpen each other. I'm thankful to have Brother Gene with us for these next few weeks. We're going to sharpen each other. I'm going to be with some preacher friends this week on a, on a meeting I've got to be at. And then in a few weeks from now, we're going to have a spiritual leadership conference. And we're going to be down in, down in Lancaster. We're going to try to encourage other preachers during that time. And that's a time for us to sharpen one another. When I meet with the staff and I meet with the deacons, we try to find opportunity to sharpen one another. When we get around each other. We try to sharpen one another. You know, good friendships look for ways to make each other better. Our goal in friendship is to make ourselves better people. Our goal in friendship is to promote the greater things in life. You know, it's wonderful about a good friendship, about sharpening each other. We can talk about a passage of Scripture and not debate about it, but talk about what God is doing in our heart. I'm enjoying listening to people talk about the Christ Walk Journal and what uh, the revival meetings have done in their hearts. And one, one brother came in the other day and said, Pastor, he said, I have to tell you, he says, you know, I just, I was under deep conviction that Tuesday night when, when, the, um, when Dr. Van Gelden was preaching and he says, you know, I pray. He said, I got to get up early to, the, and I've got to leave the house by five to get to work on time. And he said, I prayed. I just said that night. He said, Lord, would you get me up at three? And he said, Lord, I need my sleep. Would you get me up at three so I can keep my commitment to you? And he said, since that day, since that night, God is waking him up every single day at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know what that did? That encouraged my heart. That sharpened me. I said, well, i got to get up at 3 o'clock. If you're up 3 o'clock in the morning, i got to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm working on it. Amen? <laughs> we talk about how passage of Scripture helps us. We talk about a book we recently read or a thought that came out of a book. Or good idea that's inspired them. I mean, good friendships seek to take their friendships up and not down. There's a common definition. Hey, friendships are good and friendships are healthy and friendships add to our years and friendships make us better people and friendships help uh, encourage our hearts. Listen, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like being around people that are cheerful and people that are happy that people like to make me laugh because I tell you what, that, there's something for you. I mean, a good, a merry, a good, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. When you get around somebody who likes to laugh and encourage you, my good friend, Dr. Clyde Box, who went home to be with the Lord last year. Dr. Box, you got around him. He was just a happy person. And he was just was the kind of guy that would just make you smile and laugh to your side would ache. But after being around Brother Box, you just felt like you were a better person because he just had that sense of humor about him. I'm thankful to be around preachers like that, men who just have a great sense of humor and love the Lord. You get around Dr. David Gibbs. And Dr. Gibbs, he just encourages you. You know, he just has a great sense of just being an encourager to you. Uh, Dr. Van Gelder, have you ever had, have you had a chance while he was here recently. He's just an encourager to your heart and a blessing to you. I'm just saying this evening, there's a common definition. What you notice in our passage tonight, number two, what you notice the controlling direction. What you think about those words tonight? Friendships administer a controlling direction. Friendships influence us. A good number of us are in the church tonight because of someone who influenced us. A good number of us, if not all of us, are in the church because someone has influenced us. Okay, We're influenced by our friendships. Notice tonight, uh, we see tonight how Jonadab had a great influence on Amnon. Now, what you notice tonight, first of all, as we look at this matter of influence, number one, there's control, there's, there's, there's constructive influence. There's good influence, constructive influence. Sunday school teachers, you have great influence on children. You'd be amazed. I, I, I'll get around children and I'll ask them, how did you like today? The kids love Sunday school. I say, who taught today? And they'll describe the, the teacher to me. If it's a man, I can, get it down, I can get it down pretty well. If it's a woman, I'm trying to guess this. I'm not sure who that is. But it's, it's the influence. The teacher remembers things that the teacher said. The kids remember the things the teacher said. They remember scripture verse. They remember something that gets embedded in their mind. There. There's constructive influence. Notice Psalms 119, verse 63. This is a good verse for us as we evaluate our friendships tonight. Psalms 119 verse 63, the psalmist said, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. That's just a good thought. You want to be right. This, it narrows down the selection of friendships you're going to have. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy, 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 thy precepts. Friendships can influence in our buying choices. Friendships can influence us about our dining choices. Friendships can influence us about our schools. I mean, get around, get around 
uh, uh, young parents, as their kids are maturing, you know, they, they have a commonality. They become friends. They talk about things they do for their children, where they go, programs they sign them up for, where they're going to send them to school, what they're doing for homeschooling, if they're considering a Christian day school, things of that, that, that nature. Friends have an influence us on those things. They influence us about living choices. They influence us about buying choices. They influence us about all those things. Hey, consider tonight how Nehemiah influences friends. Notice in your word, the Bible tonight, Nehemiah 2.18, great thought tonight. Nehemiah 2.18, about Nehemiah said this, and I rose in the night. I, notice this phrase, and some few men with me. He didn't have a lot of men with him, but he had some few men with him. And he says, Neither I told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Hey, Nehemiah influenced some few men to see the broken down walls of Jerusalem so they would share his burden for that. He just took these some few men with him at night. He said, let's get on our horses and we're going to ride around the city of Jerusalem. And it was a big city. If you look at a map there in terms of every gate that they had to go through, and you read about that in Nehemiah chapter 3, and they took their time and they went around those areas and viewed those broken remains. Listen, Nehemiah was doing that to influence those men to have a burden for rebuilding those broken walls. And we do those things. He had constructive influence. And I think about Daniel tonight. Notice Daniel 2.17. Daniel at a time when Nebuchadnezzar had become king over, uh, over uh, was king over Babylon and had taken, taken a number of the children of Israel captive. Uh, Daniel was among those captives and Nebuchadnezzar, remember, had a, had a terrible evening. He had a dream that no one could interpret. And he said, I'm going to kill off all the wise men and the astrologers and all that. And word got to Daniel that he was part of that group. He says, why? Why is the king going to do this? And they told him that. And he said, king, if you'll give me a minute, he says, I will give you an answer. I will interpret that dream. But Daniel knew he couldn't do it by himself. And notice in Daniel 2.17, Daniel goes to his house and he influences some key friends of his to pray with him about the situation. Notice this. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions. Listen, good friendships have good influence. We are, we are constructive with what we do. Uh, you know, and that's what Daniel was doing. Nehemiah was doing. Good friendships are constructive. They get excited about memorizing Scripture and praying, uh, praying to influence others the same way. Uh, think about the woman at Samaria. When she got saved, she went back to all the people she had some kind of association with and she influenced them. She said, come see a man which told me all the things whichever I did. She had constructive influence. I think about the demonic of Gadara. Remember him? The Gamoni of Gadara, he was in such a bad situation and nobody wanted to go in those in the tombs area where this man resided. He was a wild man. He was a demon-possessed man, but he was cured and the Bible says he was saved and sitting in his right mind. Jesus cast those demons out and the man so, and when he was relieved of all the torment, he so wanted to be with Jesus. He so wanted to continue with him. He wanted to go from Gadara back to the other side of Galilee. And remember what Jesus told him? Look, look at your Bible tonight. Mark chapter 5 verse 19. He said to that man, How be it, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee, and has had compassion on thee. Listen, we have constructive influence. I want you to be in prayer with me. We're going to get more into this as the summer gets around here. We're getting ready to enter into the new educational building. I am excited about the new educational building. I'm walking down the hallways. I spent some time during the Sunday school hour after I, this morning after I kind of walked around and surveyed all of our classes. And I went there by myself, went upstairs and downstairs, just kind of walking and praying over the rooms and touching the walls and asking God to bless those rooms and that those walls, that we would burst through the walls with growth and attendance and souls being saved and Lives being changed there and all that. But I'll tell you, one of the things that's going to be a great need we have to adapt to as a church, and listen very carefully, is we're, we're our model we need to adapt to. We need to take our, our, our adult Sunday school and our adult, adult Bible hour to a whole new level through adult growth groups. And through our Sunday school, we've got to help visualize helping people who come into our church and building strong friendships and relationships through their growth groups. People build their identity by knowing somebody they belong to and something they're, they're doing. They, t- they did a survey. Thomas Rainier, if you know his name, Thomas Rainier is a very, very famous uh, consultant to the Southern Baptist Convention on Sunday school. And probably if any group that's really done a great job in building Sunday schools and have been experts on it over the years has been the, Sun- has been the Southern Baptist Convention. And Thomas Rainier is kind of considered the expert in those areas. And he, and he, and he did a detailed survey on, on how many people, the percentage of people 
people who come to church because they're influenced by a friend and the percentage of people who stay in church because of a friend. And you can, and you read these surveys, it's, it, it's just, it's just, you know, people stay in church because of friendships. And one of the things we have to adapt to, many of you here like myself, you may have been in church for a long time and you've been in this church for a long time and you got friendships in this church and so you're settled in that. But remind yourself, there are people coming new to the church. They're trying to find their way and they feel overwhelmed by seeing a large body of people here on a Sunday morning and they're kind of thinking, well, I'm not used to this. I'm used to something much smaller and they want to know, how can I build, how can I build some, a friendship with somebody, help somebody along the way and we try to do that through some of our discipleship and we need to go much further than that uh, church and we've got to take our, our, our Sunday school department to a whole new level in helping people be introduced to the Sunday school department and realizing the growth group is where they're going to experience growth. I started with something, we did something interesting this last few months. I, uh, I, I normally would teach a new members orientation class. I took several of our folks who are here tonight, and I and they really weren't Sunday Sunday evening attendees before. In fact, they're all here tonight, except for one couple who couldn't make it. And uh, I, I said I want to be part of a new members class, and I had one of our staff men teach it, and and uh, they're meeting my office, and you know, so it's kind of disruptive because when I'm not teaching, I like to go in and out of my office, and I have now I'm kind of interrupting them when they have their class going on. But they went through new members orientation, and I was praying the other Sunday, and the Lord just put on my heart. We were coming up on the last session there as far as the staff member teaching them, and I thought, you know what, the Lord laid on my heart. I don't think it's a good idea to just break up this class because I feel like they're building some they're building some friendships in here and they're really growing the Lord and I got I got wind of some of the questions they're asking really great Bible questions they're asking and they're really growing they're grasping on what the philosophy of the church is about and and why we use the King James version of the Bible and what is soul winning and why do we have discipleship and what is missions and what is what is a pastor and all those kind of things that people ask and but they're afraid to ask those questions and the the, the new members orientation class gives them an opportunity and uh, so I just I came in last Sunday and I spoke to him from my heart about a few things and I said listen I kind of feel the Lord laid on my heart that, that we just need to kind of just keep this class going and all of them lit up like like you, like, like the light shine on their face they said pastor thank you we wanted to stay in this class we're growing so much and we want to add people to this class we want to bring people to this class and that's what we want to do is to our, our adult growth groups to get people to realize this is an opportunity to grow the church where everybody can have an opportunity of bringing somebody they know to an adult growth group and having them participate in learning the Bible and writing out their questions saying thank to the teacher, hey, can you answer this question for me about the Bible and things of that nature there? And I'm just saying tonight, we must realize this evening that friendships have a constructive influence on in all of our lives. But notice something else tonight as we look at our passage. Friendships can also have a corrupting influence on our lives. Would you notice verses 3 and 4 in our passage tonight? Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. The son of Shimea, David's brother, who's the third of the number three in the line of brothers. Jonadab was Amnon's cousin. But it says Jonadab was a very subtle man. In verses 4 and 5 we see the advice, the counsel that Jonadab gives to Amnon. One day a farmer went out to his field and he saw a bunch of crows circling around his crops. And crows can devastate your crops. And he did what farmers normally do. He got his shotgun out and he aimed it and he, he shot at all these crows. Some of them scattered away. Some didn't make it. He immediately put his shotgun down or had it by his side. He walked over the side where he saw some of the crows fall. And to his, to his chagrin, he noticed also his beloved talking parrot was among those crows. Not only did he shoot the crows, he shot his parrot. He didn't kill the parrot, but he, he badly damaged the wing. And he looked at his parrot and he bent down. He said, oh my, my parrot got shot in this. I didn't know my parrot was there. And his little kids came out. They said, Papa, Papa, what happened? What happened to our talking parrot? And the farmer looked up and deadpanned to them. And he said, bad company. Yeah. Bad company. Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. Jonadab was a very subtle man. How well do you know your friend? What's their agenda? What are they doing for you or to you? Someone addicted to drugs was most likely first introduced to drugs by a friend. 
High schoolers, now their big thing, at least on the East Coast, is juuling. Do you know what juuling is? E-cigarettes, e-flavored e-cigarettes. It's a big problem because now it's got them hooked on nicotine there. They were introduced to it by a friend. A young person introduced to alcohol most likely was introduced to alcohol drinking by a friend. Someone, a young person who's ravaged by porn and lasciviousness was first introduced to it by a friend. Most of the teen problems I don't even talk to the staff about that I get introduced to, that I get brought into. With some, with some young person, a parent calls me up, I'll ask them, how did you find out about this? And in every one of those cases, they've said to my wife or myself, a friend introduced us to this thing. Someone who was once on fire for God, but drifted away, can identify that one of the key influences that, that led them to drift away over a period of time was the influence of a friend. Scorners replicate scorners. Angry people replicate angry people. Critical people replicate critical people. Amnon was so vexed in his soul to do something that was not appropriate. He had to do something that was out of the realm of what was reasonable and what was right. He was vexed in his soul. But the Bible says he thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Then he got an encouragement from a friend. He had a corrupting influence. The Bible says Jonadab was a very subtle friend. May I ask this question tonight? Who's your friend? Who's your friend that's influencing your beliefs? Who's your friend that's influencing your spirit? Who's your friend that's influencing your attitude? What kind of fire or fuel are they adding to the fire? Who's your friend, college student? Who's your friend, high school student? Who's your friend, adult? Who's your friend, Sunday school teacher? Who's your friend, deacon? Who's your friend, staff member? Who's your friend, lady? Who's your friend, man? Who's, who's your friend that's influencing? Who's your friend that's either feeding your soul with good things or poisoning your thoughts and desires with bad things? Who's your friend that you find comfort telling your complaints and problems to and they sympathize with it and don't t- try to help you get to closer to God. They try to help you stay with the problem. Who's your friend? Who's your friend that's discouraging you from living from God? Who's your friend telling you bad things about Heritage Baptist Church? Who's your friend that after a Sunday morning service, that the topic discussion is either roasted church or roasted Pastor Fong? Who's your friend? Who's your friend discouraging you from being less involved for the Lord? Who's your friend that's feeding you unbiblical doctrine to tell you, hey, I want to tell you about this novel new doctrine I just read about on the Internet. Get off the Internet and get in the book. Who's your friend that's helping encourage the root of bitterness to spring up in your life? It was first in them, now it's spread to you because the root of bitterness springs up and defiles many. It began with somebody else. Who's your friend? Who's your friend? Who's your friend? Who's your friend that's on the internet, that you're on the internet with that you haven't met and you think this person's pretty cool and you think there's some commonality, but the truth of the matter is you really can't see this person. You really don't know what's going on with it. Who's your friend? Who's your friend in another church that's totally different in beliefs, totally going a different direction from, from where we're trying to help you? By the way, we're, you know, Heritage Baptist Church, all we're trying to do is help you live for God. I mean, Psalm chapter one, verse one, beloved, come on. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Who's your friend? Or standeth in the way of sinners. Or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Who's your friend? Who's your friend? Make no friendship with an angry man. With a furious man thou shalt not go. Lest thou learn his, day, learn his ways. Who's your friend? Who's influencing your attitude? Who's trying to pull you away from God? I mean, there are friendships that either have constructive influence or corrupting influence. Who's your friend? The Bible says Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. We see the common definition. We see the controlling direction. Would you notice the consequential damage? Chapter 13 is a very sad chapter of the Bible. Sometimes people ask, well, why is it in there? Because the Bible tells us about the sadness of the depravity of man. God doesn't hide sin. By the way, we all have sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. Sin puts a dark spot in our lives. Sin has cursed our race. and cursed, Sin has cursed us as, a, as, as the, the human race there. Verses 6 to 19. Amnon follows the counsel of Jonadab. 
He puts together a plan to bring his half-sister Tamar to his house. And she comes as an innocent, unsuspecting young lady. David didn't even know that there was a conspiracy behind this. And he asked her, he pretended he was sick. And he said, would you have her make something at my hand? And she started to make some cakes and things like that. And he told all of his servants to go out. And he said, Tamar, would you come inside my room and serve me over there in my room? And she said, she's not thinking anything about it. This is my, this is my half-brother. I mean, we're, David's our father. I don't think anything of it. And the Bible says he forced her. And she said, nay, my brother, do not such a thing. And he forced her. And he did something very improper. Something to- totally immoral. He did something ru- that ruined And you notice the consequences right here. Tamar became a victim of a terrible assault. Amnon went from being lustful to hateful. Absalom found out what Amnon did. And later on, as we look at this, the, what, what unveils here, Absalom subsequently draws Amnon to a, to a unsuspecting situation where he is Amnon murdered. I mean, can you think with me for just a minute, all the terrible, tragic things that unfolded? We have lust leading to sin, sin leading to murder. We lead all these things. An entire family is thrown upside down. I mean, David is barely out of the situation that he came out of. Now he's having to deal with the sins of his children and things that they didn't. And by the way, they were not young people. They were adults when they did this type of thing. And you go down later, we think that Jonadab only shows up until verse 5. And then we go down a little bit later. Notice verses 32 to 33. And Jonadab shows up at the right moment when all the king's sons had been over at Absalom's house. And, and, uh, and they, when, the, when the servants of Absalom rose up and they, they murdered Amnon, here's what happens. All those king's sons said, well, we must be in line. He's going to kill us too. And they all got, a, got out and they got on their donkeys and horses and rode out. But Jonadab shows up at David's place at the exact moment. Jonadab knew exactly what was going to go on. He was a very subtle man. He'd inspired a- a- Amnon and what he did there. Amnon followed through with all the details and even went beyond that. And now Jonadab shows up to David in verse 32. Notice what happens. And Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons. For Amnon only is dead. There's no remorse in his voice. He's not even sorry that he's dead. That was his friend. He says, For Amnon only is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Somewhere along the way, I see, I see this young man, Jonadab, playing between Absalom and Amnon, playing as like a, like a power broker between the two. And he really didn't care really which one of them went down. And he says this to King David in verse 33. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead. For Amnon only is dead. It's kind of like he thought, you know, he deserves to be dead. There was no remorse in the heart of Jonah. Can I tell you something tonight? Listen to me. Someone wants to take you down and mislead you. They have no remorse in their heart if you fall. Someone gives you that bottle of liquor to get you drunk. They don't care that you get drunk. This is your own fault. They get you hooked on drugs. You go from marijuana to something more addictive. And you go to that place. They don't have any remorse that, that, that you did it. They have no remorse that you did those things. They have no remorse about the fact they inspired you. In fact, they will not accept any responsibility. Go back to verse 3. Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And boy, you go through chapter 13. There's just so many terrible sins that are mentioned there. Rape. Assault, wrath, revenge, murder. What is your friendship doing to the people that you're supposedly friends with? Do you take your Bibles tonight and turn to Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30 for just a minute, please? Acts chapter 20. Would you notice a word that Paul gave to his friends about corrupting influences? Paul was over in Troas. He's there with some of his friends and I believe the church of Troas was founded somewhere around Acts chapter 16, though it does not tell us that. We do know in Acts chapter 20 that the church of Troas was established because Paul went there and preached to midnight there. And while he was at the church of Troas, the church of Troas got established. And while he was there, he preached there. And then he just had this burden in his heart that he knew God wanted him to go to Jerusalem. 
He had to go to Jerusalem to take a stand for what he believed about uh, faith alone in Jesus Christ saves and deal with Judaism and all these type of things there. And he told his friends that were with him, he said, listen, you guys go and take the ship where you guys are at and you make the journey out, out of Macedonia all the way back down there to, to meet me at Jerusalem. But he says, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to walk there. And amazingly, they, they, uh, um, Paul got there by foot faster than those men would have caught up with him by ship. And he makes his way, he's going that there, he decides he wants to stop over and see the, the men, the, the, what I call the pastors that were established at the church at, at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus at that time, if you remember, Ephesus may have been one of the leading, if not the leading church in the first century at that time. Ephesus became, emerged as a great missions church. We read about in Acts chapter 19 that the church at Ephesus became so powerful in its gospel influence, it says that all of Asia heard the gospel. Now, when it says Asia, is not Asia as we think about it, as a continent, but modern-day Turkey at that time. And, and we know about those churches were established because not only was the church at Ephesus, is established, but we read about churches that, that were established like at Colossae and Laodicea and Philadelphia and all these types of churches. We read about the seven churches of Asia Minor there that are found, we find over there in, in, in uh, Revelations 2 and 3. And Paul had a burden for these men, but he could, didn't have the time as he was making his way along the coastline there. He didn't have time to journey inwards into Ephesus. And so he stops at a coastline, a coastal city by the name of Miletus, and he sends word to the pastors there, there at, 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 at Ephesus to meet him. And when I say pastors, you have to remember, they didn't meet in large buildings like we do. Uh, they had they basically had, had constraints. They would do something like what Pastor Gene would do over in China. They met perhaps in homes and, and confined facilities. And so all of these men were men that, that Paul had trained and had developed and mentored. He probably had his own Bible college where he trained these men. And he, he felt they were qualified. They met the requirements of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 that he set these men apart by ordaining them to the gospel ministry. And he put them in charge of these respective churches. But when we talk about the church at Ephesus, they all had commonality. They fellowshiped together, but they had local autonomy his churches. And so Paul calls these pastors in Acts chapter 20 to come meet with him there at the city of Miletus. And Paul, as he's sharing his heart with them, I want you to notice in verses 28 to 30, some words that he gives to his friends and some cautions that he gives to them about what's going to happen when he's gone. Would you notice Acts 20 and follow as I read, please, tonight. He said in verse 30, 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. Boy, there's so much doctrine there, but he's telling these men who are pastors this capacity. He said, first of all, you need to look after yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. By the way, that's a good thought for you and me. We need to take heed to ourselves. Take heed to your own soul. Take heed to your devotion time. Take heed to your prayer time. Take heed to the safeties and boundaries we need to have in our life. Take heed to yourselves. But now he gets very, very more specific. He's telling these senior pastors of their local autonomous churches. He says to them, but not only to yourselves, but to all the flock. Notice over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. He reminded them, listen, yes, I, I, I was led to the Lord to put you there. But listen, now the Holy Ghost superintends you. The Holy Ghost has made you an overseer. And we see two vital words that are used in the New Testament describing the local New Testament pastor. The first one is the word overseer. The word overseer is also translated the word bishop. Remember that? 1 Timothy 3.1, if any man desires the office of bishop, the word overseer, the word bishop, talks about the leadership capability of the pastor. The pastor is to be the leader of the general assembly. He's to provide oversight thereof. That doesn't mean the pastor has to do everything, but he has to know what's going on. He needs to know the state of the flock, and he has to be involved in giving strong leadership to the church and guiding the church uh, in, in his capacity. He says, well, take heed to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. And then the second word that he uses to describe pastors, the word feed. The word feed is the word poimon or poimano, which is where we get our word shepherd from. So he's giving two words here, the word bishop or overseer and the word pastor or feeding. And he's saying, listen, pastors, take the leadership, but feed the flock of God. Now, every time that someone will ask, why do we have church more than Sunday morning? Because we're feeding the flock of God. We're feeding your soul. The Bible says the soul of the righteous shall not famish. Listen, we're feeding our soul. Blessed are they that thirst and hunger after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I talked about our, our lives being filled up to the brim with the word of Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. We need to be filled with the word of God. Listen, I just have, find this true. Less church does you more harm than more church. I never found anybody that got hurt for having more church. He says, take heed there from yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. Now, God is making a statement. He's telling pastors, remember, the church, the church is Jesus' bride. The church belongs to Jesus. He bought it with his blood. But he gives them a warning in verse 29. For I know this. 
that after my departing, he says, I may not see you guys again. This might be the last time I'll see you. And I, I've got to just part my heart with you here. He says that after my departing, grievous woes, underline those two words, grievous woes enter, shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. You know what Paul's talking about there? He's talking about, listen, there will be men besides the pastors here or women that will come in, men or women that may come into the flock and they're, they're basically, he calls them, defines them as grievous woes. Listen, wolves hunt in packs and wolves, when they hunt, they have a lead wolf that's looking out after things and wolves have one thing in mind they are predator creatures and you have an alpha male that's always looking out to find his way there a grievous wolf that enters into the flock has one thing in mind they're there to prey on the flock of God they're there to corrupt your belief or change your belief or change your direction there he says after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you not sparing the flock he says they're coming for your soul they're coming to corrupt you they're coming to change you you've got to be very very careful of who influences you and he says also of your own selves shall men arise. He's saying, look it, people will plant themselves in the church, but their agenda is not, their agenda is not to coincide with the doctrines of the church. Their, do, their, not, their goal is not to coincide with what thus saith the Lord says. By the way, whenever we have something that comes up, we always look at the Bible. The Bible is our authority. And they'll come up with something like this. Well, you know what? I, I, you know, that's fine what was preached. But let me tell you, I don't agree with that. And here's why. And they'll get up, like I said this, the, the, other, the other night on Wednesday night. They'll say something like this. Well, you know, you either lean too much to grace or you lean too much to the law. They're saying, and what they're saying is it's this term that you're legalistic or whatever. They're, listen tonight. When they're saying you, terms like that, here's what they're trying to do. If they like what they hear, you're, you're preaching grace. If they don't like what they hear, you're preaching law. If someone is putting that in your mind, they're basically trying to persuade you of a Christianity that is not biblical. And you say, well, wow, they seem so nice and they seem so unsuspecting. Yeah, that's what he's saying here. Grievous woes shall arise in the flock and they'll not spare the flock and they'll speak perverse things. Listen, their one goal is to draw disciples. Listen, if somebody wants to be the center of attention and to show you or impress upon you that there's some kind of a Bible expert and they know all these things and they're superior to this, superior to that, red flags ought to go up in your mind and say, there's something wrong with this situation. And why are they contradicting what the, what's being preached from the Word of God? Why are they contradicting the pulpit ministry of the church? And why are they going off on this and they're coming with this newfangled doctrine there and if it's something that was so great why isn't the preacher advocating and preaching this and they'll come with all their weird things and things of that nature I'm just saying tonight we've got to be very, very careful because there is a corrupting influence that friendships can have on us and by the way when he says that grievous woes come in they blend in among us they become our friends What direction is that friend pointing you to? Who's that friend that's taking away our joy? Listen, let me make a statement tonight. Write this down. It is always easier to poison you than it is to persuade you. Let me repeat that again tonight. It's always easier to poison you than it is to persuade you. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. We see the common definition. We see the controlling direction. We see the consequential damage as we close tonight. Would you notice this last thought? This is where we sum it up tonight. Would you notice tonight the consecrated discretion? God gave us this to give us discretion, discernment, how to make the right choices. A man dialed a wrong number one day. You ever do that? You made a phone call but dialed the wrong number? But instead of getting a voice, he got a recording. And the recording said this, I'm not available right now, but I thank you for caring enough to call. I am, I am making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I do not return your call, you are one of those changes. You know what? We need to make some changes tonight. What a powerful example. Amnon had a friend named Jonadab. Jonadab was a very subtle man. 
Can I encourage you tonight about being consecrated in our discretion, being careful. Again, Psalms 119, verse 163. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Proverbs 13, 20. He that walk with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 28, 7. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he is a companion of riotous men, shame of his father. There's something to be said about having a fellowship of good friends, loving friends, caring friends, where the commonality is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and worshiping God, and exalting our Savior, and pleasing God. Yes, we're going to have our differences, but let's make sure our differences are not Jesus. Amen? And let's make sure our differences are not ethical things and dishonest things. I was on the phone last night, late last night, with someone who I'm trying to counsel through. And the person told me, Pastor, i got to tell you something. He says, listen, that person was very critical of you. And he said, I had to tell him, stop right now. They were criticizing you for things I know that they were not true. And he says, that he said, I told him, stop right now. Well, I didn't even know that was going on. But I said, thank you for doing that. Amen. He said, does it bother you? I said, no, it didn't bother me. I said, thank you. I have a friend. Amen commonality of things a horse was shot twice with a crossbow can you imagine that someone shooting their crossbow twice and missing and hitting someone's horse the horse was badly wounded but it's interesting as the people came people started to realize something was going on they made their way to this horse that was on the ground and it had these two arrows inside of it one had just missed one of its puncturing its lung by just a couple of inches there and the amazing thing they looked at this horse and four of the fellow mares were around that horse and for three hours those horses took turns licking the wound of the one that was wounded and, they, and the veterinarians and those who came alongside of that horse that was very terribly wounded, they said, had, the, had not those four other horses come and continuously licked the wound, a bacterial infection would have set in and most likely would have killed that horse. That horse was spared from death because of four mares that came alongside that cared enough and licked the wounds. And I'm just saying tonight, maybe it's a good thing for us to realize when someone's wounded, let's come alongside and help them during their time of wounding. Amen? Right, Jeremiah is in a bad place. I've been taking my time reading through Jeremiah as part of my Bible reading. And God's been working all over my heart on so many things that's been going through Jeremiah this year. Jeremiah was cast into prison. They actually threw him into a dungeon beneath the palace. Where they stuck him was a bunch of mire. Remember that mud and mire and stuff? He was halfway up to here and he was just sitting in that and you know, there's bacterial infections and all kinds of other junk that can happen during that time. And there was a man that we don't read about other than this passage of Scripture. His name was called Abedmelech the Ethiopian. And Abedmelech was a, was, a, was a man of notoriety in the king's palace. And he went to the king and he said, listen, they took Jeremiah and they cast him into the dungeon, to the mire. And he's likely to die there because there's no more bread in Jerusalem. He said, listen, I don't know about you, but I care enough about Jeremiah. He's my friend. Somebody needs to do something for him. And the king changed his mind because the king was the one who gave permission for those princes to put Jeremiah in that prison, that dungeon. And the king changed his mind after being persuaded by Abedmelech that somebody needed to do something to help Jeremiah. He got a bunch of men and they went over there to the dungeon and made their selves, they got themselves over there and they took some long ropes and they told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, we're here to help you. And they said, Jeremiah, we've got some old claws and some old rags and what we're going to do is we're going to lower down with these ropes and put those underneath, uh, underneath on those ropes so as we equip these ropes, you've got to get them under your armpits and we don't want you getting hurt because we're going to have to pull you up and that rope's going to burn against your skin and it might injure your arm. Put those old claws and rags there and we'll pull you up. And listen, as those men looked at Jeremiah, was suffering down to that dungeon they got those rags and he put it under his armpits and they put those ropes he put it underneath those claws and they pulled him up and in Bethlehem and those men led, led, a, led a charge of men that basically got Jeremiah out of that situation hey let's be friendships and realize sometimes somebody's in the pit of life and sometimes they're in a situation where they need a word of encouragement and they need to know that we love them and they don't need to hear that we're critical of them and they don't need to hear that they've got that, 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 we, that, that we, they've got some fault they need to know that we love them and we're conserving them and let's lift that lend out a hand and let's lower some ropes and let's pull them up and let's help them along the way and be a blessing to them. Amen? As we close this, morning, this evening, the greatest definition of friendship, which I didn't give in the beginning, 
It's a definition our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave. Amen? In John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love is no man than this. You fathom that with me for a moment. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his... Are you that kind of friend? Are you that kind of friend? I mean, Jesus is telling those disciples there in that upper room as they're grieving and sobbing and sorrowing about the fact that he's talking about dying and rising again. They couldn't get their arms around the fact that he was going to die and they didn't want to accept that fact. And he says, listen, greater love is no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friend. And that's what Jesus Christ did for you and me. I call you not servants, I call you friend. And tonight as we look at this man Amnon, what a reminder tonight. Friendships can be constructive in their influence, or they can be very corrupting in their influence. And tonight, where the Lord leaves us, is we must be consecrated in our discernment in our discretion. Our staff guys who've been to Bible college could tell you this. Even in the midst of a thriving Bible college, you could choose the wrong friends. Am I right, guys? Am I right? You could have the wrong friends. Pastor Gene, isn't it true? Even in the midst of pastors, you could have the wrong friend. Who's your friend tonight? By the way, who are you a friend to? Who are you a friend to? Tonight... A friend loveth at all times. And a brother's born for adversity. Would you take a moment at the altar tonight to thank the Lord for two friends? Number one, thank Him for the friend that gave His life for you and me. Number two, would you do this? You have one or more friends in this church that are blessing to you. Would you take some time at the altar and say, God, thank you for that friend. And God, Lord, help that friend that Satan doesn't sift them as wheat. By the way, as Jesus told Peter, right? He prayed for a friend. I, he said, Simon, Simon, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And would you do a third thing tonight? If you need a friend, if you really need a, a real, a right friend who will be there for you, a biblical friend, as we talked about, would you take some time at the altar and say, God, I'm not sure what that's all about, but Lord, would you give me that kind of friend? Because I'll tell you what, tonight, a lot of us, we, we get a lot of our counsel from yeah, maybe good sources, but maybe not godly sources. Bless the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Would you take some time tonight and visit with the Lord? And parents, let's pray for your children who are still at home with you, that your young children, that they'd have good friends and right friends. Bless them. People tell you they're your friends. Your, your circle of network goes like this. As you get older, it goes like this. Because you find out people say they're your friends are really not your friends. Somebody gets on fire for God. They always come to my office. They see somebody else. Pastor, I need to talk to you. I'm so thankful to be saved. But I've got these friends. They were there for me. And I've been there for them. But I'm not sure they're going to really take this Jesus thing well if I tell them I'm saved. I'm not really sure what to do. I, I, I don't want to leave my friends and I'll let them talk. And I'll always say this. Thank you for sharing that with me. But can I tell you something? You don't have to worry about, them, about you leaving them. They're going to leave you if you live for Christ. Maybe tonight there's a hard decision that needs to be made. There's some friendships that are really not helping us in terms of its influence. And God loves us. Do you believe God loves you tonight? And God loves us. And God wants us to have discernment and discretion about the right friendships. Boyfriends, girlfriends, schoolmates, neighbors. The longer you hang around somebody, they're either going to morph you or you're going to morph them. And I'm going to tell you something. They do a better job of morphing us than we do of morphing them. They're going to change us. Would you come tonight and say, Lord... Help me this evening. Identify those friends. Thank God for Jesus, who's your friend, who's closer than a brother. Thank God for friendships that you have that are helping you grow. And ask God, Lord, help me to have discretion. Maybe I need the right kind of friends. Lord, would you give me guidance and discernment 
of who that friend should be. Father, tonight, thank you this evening for this is past the scripture about Amnon and Jonadab. Lord, it's, it's just, you know, it's just there at scripture. And Amnon's life literally was destroyed because he had the wrong friend and didn't realize that friend set him up. He was a very subtle man. And Father, I pray this evening, it's easy for us to make the wrong choices. We all have. We all have. And some of us, we've corrected those choices. And some of us are struggling with that decision of knowing how to make that right choice. Well, Lord, we know you didn't write your word. You didn't give us the Bible to hurt us. You gave us the Bible to help us. You gave us the Bible as a word of counsel, a word of advice, wisdom from on high. And Lord, nobody cares about friendships more than you do for us. Tonight I pray as a congregation, we'll just be transparent and let go of our pretentiousness and our fears. And really, concerning this area of friendships, we really need to be serious about that tonight. I pray for parents around the room to pray that their children would have godly friendships. I pray we teach our children how to make good friends and to be good friends. I pray you'll help us, Lord, as we struggle tonight. Maybe we've got someone we're very, we're very fond of and we think of very highly as a friend, but we realize maybe that there's just some things we need to pull away from. And whatever it may be tonight, help us with that. And then thank you tonight that there are godly, genuine friendships in this room that are, that, that are right there for thick and thin. They're like that story of the horses. They're there to lick the wounds and help us to our situation. They're like Abedmelech, the Ethiopian who came to Jeremiah at a critical time when Jeremiah was in the pit of life and needed help. And God, would you revive our hearts and deliver us from being stingy and selfish and help us tonight to recognize the importance of being that right friend. And then tonight, Lord, if perchance, if perchance, we've been giving wrong influence, would you help us to correct that tonight? Would you help us to lovingly submit ourselves and say, Lord, forgive me for, for administering wrong influence and help me, Lord, to be a person who has godly influence this evening. Father, use this invitation time, not, Lord, to pat anyone on the back, but, Lord, to give you the glory that, Lord, you'd be lifted up on high. Lord, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. As I ask you to stand, would you make your way to the altar and find your place all over the auditorium to pray for your friends? How many love your friends enough that you'd pray for them tonight, that God would help them, that they would not be sifted as we? Would you do that tonight? Would you just take a moment to pray for some friends you have? Maybe a friend that's in trouble, a friend that's in need. There are a lot of us who have a friend in need tonight, a friend that's going through some very terrible times. They're going through sickness and through suffering and marital mishaps and things like that and sickness. And, hey, listen, we ought to take time to care enough about our friends. Do you care enough about your friends? Do you find your way? You say, Pastor, I can't kneel. Well, come and stand up if you would. You come and stand at the altar. But I think this is important. We pray for our friends. You have a friend that's overcome by a bitter spirit. You're concerned for them. You ought to find your way here tonight to pray that they get delivered from a bitter spirit. You have someone that's got a health problem, and many of us have friends in this church who have a health problem. We need to be praying for. Would you take some time tonight to pray for that friend? Let's not waste the opportunity. Let's not blow it. Let's not throw it away. Let's take some time to pray for that friend. By the way, be thankful tonight. If your spouse is your best friend, and he or she should be, why don't you pray for that friend tonight, that God would be honored in that life. Are you saved? Tonight you were to die. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Jesus loves you. When you take Jesus as your Savior, you take Him as your Savior. And he becomes your best friend. Greater love is no man than this than a man laid down his life. For his friend in Christ gave his life for you and me. Let's pray. Lift up our prayers to God for our friend. The great prayer examples in the Bible is Luke chapter 11. And Jesus used an example of friendships to drive home the importance of prayer. That example, we see a friend in need. But we also see a friend indeed. And Lord, may, you, may God help us tonight to be a friend indeed. A friend who sees someone in need and coming alongside them. Would you do that tonight? Heavenly Father, tonight, <clears throat> your word has been a mirror. Your word has been a medicine. And now, Lord, we need your, your word to be a motivation to us, to prompt us, to push us, to help us tonight. Father, help us to realize tonight that this matter of friendship, you place very highly as one of the priorities of life. Friendships help us, but friendships hurt us. 
Friendships pull us up or friendships pull us down. Friendships lead us closer to you or friendships take us away from you. Lord, help us be committed as Christians tonight that this not only be a friendly church, but a place where people will build invaluable friendships. Friendships for a lifetime. Friendships into eternity. And God, deliver us from being temperamental and be so easily offended. And work past those things and realize a friend loveth at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. And tonight we pray for friendships that will be mended. Friendships that will be repaired. We pray for friendships that will go higher. We pray for friendships that will be stronger. We pray for friendships that will be purifying. We pray for friendships that will be godly. We pray for friendships that give wisdom and counsel in what we do. We pray for friendships that will be a blessing. We pray for friendships tonight that will help us to laugh. And friendships that are there when we're crying. And friendships, dear Lord, that put their arm around us to know that we're loved by God and we're loved by that friend. And friendships, Lord, that every day bring us before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh God, tonight we know so little about friendships and we do such a terrible job, Lord, of being the kind of friends we should be. Would you help us tonight? As a reminder, as we look at this man by the name of Jonadab, he was a friend that took his friend down. And Lord, help us not to be that kind of friend, but help us to be a friend like Jesus who's closer than a brother. Oh, tonight, Lord, there's some great things that we've seen from your word tonight. Let it settle in our hearts. Let it embed itself in a wonderful way that, Lord, we're just changed people and we have friendships that will just be so enduring and so 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 helpful. And we, we just give you the glory and praise for that. And every prayer that's been lifted up tonight during this during this, this, this invitation time, dismiss us in a moment with your blessing. We ask these things of you, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.